listening to the reads this morning and uh, I was impressed with that worship. Rachel, you're such a beautiful singer. My goodness, that's amazing. Amazing voice. So I'm going to read a passage and then just speak, speak about it. It's in John chapter 15, John's Gospel. And the heading of the passage is the true vine. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 17 because it's kind of all relevant. So, just wait to see people are there. And starting at verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch I mean that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they get, gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Start at verse 9 again. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer they call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you that you love one another. I'm going to just come back to the verses, but that is a well-known parable of Jesus describing himself as a vine and describing the believers as the branches and his father as a vine dresser. And he's really he's painting a picture here. It's an illustration, he's spoken parables a lot, and he's painting a picture of the life of the individual being rooted in him, rooted in Jesus Christ, in the same way that the branch is rooted in the vine. See, the way God has set it up is the vine does not bear the fruit, it is the branches. And those branches he's saying uh, are me and you when we're, we're connected to the vine, when we're connected to him. And he's really talking about being in relationship with him and the, the outworking of that. What is outworking of being in a relationship with God? And he tells us in those 17 verses, the word fruit is mentioned eight times. So he's saying the outworking of a, an individual having a relationship with God is to bear fruit. 
In the same way that the branch will, will produce grapes, in the same way he's telling us we have to produce fruit, you know, in our lives. And the question is, so what, what is fruit in, in, in our lives? And really, it's about when it's, it, can, it can look like many different things, but it's about impacting others through having a relationship with God and that outworking through impacting other people, being effective for God with the people we come into contact with every day. It's like when people are with us, they feel refreshed, they feel edified, you know, they don't feel drained, they don't feel that it was difficult. You know, it's really about pouring your life into other people. You know, that is fruit, and it can happen in a variety of different ways. But, you know, you might have heard the term seed sower, and there's, there's consumers, you know, in life, people just consume, even within churches, and consume and consume. But God wants to do such a work in our hearts that we're no longer consumers, we're contributors. You know, that we're, instead of being consumers, we're seed sowers, we're investing in other people's lives. And how does that harm? It's really through a work of grace in our lives because naturally we can be selfish. Human beings can be selfish. But when God begins to do a work in somebody's life, it begins to change that to they become selfless. You know, and it goes to a point where we want our needs met to us wanting to meet the needs of others. You know, uh, meeting, see, we sang that song, uh, that the things of this earth will grow, will grow dim, you know, they'll grow dim, meaning the things of this world, we can come to a place, God takes us to such a place in him, where the things of this world have no power over us anymore, the pleasures of this world will do nothing for us. And because Jesus said this in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said this, it's very interesting. He said, it is my food to do the will of the one who sent me. So the, the one who sent him was his father. God in heaven sent him. And they came back, they had, they had been away, to, I think they were away to try and get food. And they offered them food. And he wasn't hungry, physically hungry at that time. But he says, I've got food that you know nothing about. And he says, what is he talking about? He's got food that we know nothing about. He says, it is my food to do the will of the one who sent me. And Jesus was telling us here that, that as he met other people's needs, as he done the will of God, that there was a need met within him. And it is the exact same for us today. Every single one of us, you know, that's what our, our experience can be. When God does such a work within us, that our life is no longer for us, but it's our food is to do the will of the one who sent us, the one who's sending us out to touch other people's lives. You know, really, what I'm saying is when we begin to meet the needs of others, it will meet our greatest need. The exact same as it was for Jesus Christ. He's a model and he is the example. And you see, there was a man uh, called John Witherspoon. And John Witherspoon, he went to America. He was a Presbyterian minister 
And he went to America when they were founding America. And he was one of the people who signed the Declaration of Independence. And he was part of the forming of the Constitution. But he was influenced by another guy, a guy who, who called Francis Hutchison. He lived from, Francis Hutchison lived from 1694 to 1746. And they said that, I was just reading about it this morning, I've heard somebody's teaching on it, and I looked at it again this morning. And it says Francis Hutchison was one of the key people who, who began to help form civilized society within Scotland and within America, because he was a professor at Glasgow University, and he was a professor of moral philosophy. And he began to influence people like John Witherspoon and David Hume and many, many others when they were forming society here within Scotland and the ones that went to America and began to form society there. And this was his philosophy. And this is what he taught. He says, true happiness will come to a person when they begin to live to bring happiness to others. You know, in other words, when your life is no longer about you, but you live to meet the needs of others, it meets a need within you. And there was a study, there's been many studies done throughout the years, but there was a study done at Harvard University over 80 years. And it was about how do people find true happiness or who are the people in the world that are truly happy? And they studied people for decades and decades and decades. And this is what they come up with. It's not necessarily prosperity or success that makes people happy. However, that can help because there's, like, if you look at some studies even within Scotland, in the deprived areas of Glasgow, those who are living in poverty and dysfunction, their lifespan is much less than those who are living in prosperity. Maybe in, in Shettleston, compared to Bears Den, the lifespan in Shettleston is just 54 years old or something. It was, it was when they done this study anyway. But over in Bears Den, it's something like 80-something. So it shows you that prosperity, you know, can make a difference, at least with lifespan, but other things as well within people's lives. And poverty can have a negative effect. But that study never came up with that. wasn't as fine as one from Harvard University. What they discovered was that those who have got healthy relationships, those who have got healthy relationships are the people who are most happy. And people who have came to the end of their life are most happy with, with the ones who get healthy relationships. And how can that happen? Really because there's two types of people, you know, in life. You get givers and you get takers. You know, uh, seed sores or consumers. And those who are selfish, you know, they've not got healthy relationships. They end, they end up with many, many broken relationships. They end up with burning their bridges with people. But when God does a work in a person's heart and he begins to change people, and when we're no longer driven by our own pleasures or the pleasures of this world, you will begin to meet the needs of others. And that will meet a need within us. And that is what you call healthy relationships, you know, pouring our lives into other people. It is my food to do the will of the one who sent me. I was in a man's house just on Friday there. Uh, he's 88, and so I think there's a few people in here that know him. His name's Gordon Haxton. 
And me and Gordon, we've kept in touch for 15 years. You know, he got in touch with me. I was at a thing that he was at 15 years ago. And he phoned me up and said, you want to come into Berlin and speak? And we've kept in touch ever since then. You know, he's 88, I think he's 89 this year. And we were in his kitchen, he was making a couple of rolls in that and tea in that. And I says, Gordon, you've served the Lord well. You know, he's been so consistent in serving God. And this is what he said to me. He said, serving God is not burdensome. And he says, in serving God, you don't lose anything by serving God. And I thought, that is so true. And he quoted a scripture to me. And the scripture I've quoted it many times. I might have quoted it in here, but I'm only going to quote it again because he quoted it within this conversation. And this is a scripture he quoted. He says, for he who wants to keep his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, in other words, when you serve God, it will do something in your life. It will bring something to your life. And Jesus said this, it says, many are called, but few are chosen. It says, the last, the first will be last, and the last will be first. So it says, many are called, but few are chosen. And the question is, how do we become chosen? And just further down a wee bit, I think the conversation was struck up again. And the disciples say to him, that, ah, I believe this is how you choose to be chosen. You know, this is how we can be chosen as people. So further down, the conversation starts again, the dialogue. And they come to him, the disciples, and they say to him, they begin to discuss who was going to be the greatest among them. You know, who's going to be the greatest? A lot of them are young guys. They're talking about who will be the greatest. And this is what Jesus says. He says, he who wants to be great among you, let him, come be, let him be a servant of all. He who wants to be great, and what he's telling us here is, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to become a servant. He says, it's not about being, he's saying it's not about being recognized. This is me talking, you know, but just, just kind of putting it in my words. It's not about being recognized. It's not about how many times we get to preach, how many or don't get to preach, how many, how well known we get. You get in the worship band, you don't get in the worship band. It's nothing to do with that. You know, I've got a guy always saying to me, can you ask if I can preach in that church and that church? I said, I can't do that. I says, I've got the authority to ask people, can you let him preach? And uh, constantly, so I end up saying to him just the other day, I says, then let God open the doors, you know, rather than you trying to open the doors yourself. If he doesn't open doors, he doesn't open them. You just forget all about it. But this is what he says, he who wants to be great among you, let him become a servant of all. And Jesus is telling us, if we want to be great in God's kingdom, we need to become a servant. You know, it's about, you need to go lower to come higher. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You know, he, there's many are called, but few are chosen. Then when he says that, that he who wants to be great among you, let him become a servant of all. The very next verse, this is what he said. He was pointing to himself. And he says this about, about serving, and he tells us we have to become a servant. He tells us this, he says, I did not come, talking about himself, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. 
So he's pointing to himself as an example, as a model. And he says he is just a servant himself. He came not for people to serve him, not for people to meet his needs, but for him to meet the needs of others. Because he tells us in that other place, it is my food to do the will of the one who sent me. So as he begins to meet the needs of others, as he became a servant, the greatest need within him was met, the same as it is for us. You know, and God is calling us, every one of us, you know, he wants to do a work in every one of our lives. Why? So that we become a servant. We're called to become servants to humanity, to those in our world, to those we come into contact with in our everyday life. See, you just come into contact with people that I don't, and vice versa. And we're all called to people, you know, but what does the Apostle Paul tell us? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God, what, what are the good works? It's different things for different people. But ultimately, it's about people. We are called to people. We are called to meet the needs of others. And I'm just going to go back to this, John chapter 15, and look at some of the verses. And verse 1, Jesus said, I am the vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Meaning the father is involved in a process. That process, it tells us what the process is in verse 2. And see, this is a passage with 17 verses. But I believe there's a key verse, and there's a key, and it's, it's actually a part of a verse, and it's verse 2. And let me just read that. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But listen to this last part. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And Jesus is giving us a picture, you know, about a branch. And there's things on that branch where it's stopping the fruit coming forth. So he says he prunes it. And he's talking about our lives. There is things in our lives which stop us from bearing fruit. Inward issues we've never dealt with. And things that block the flow of the life of God. Because if we're born again, it says we're joined. We're joined to him. It says in another place, we're one spirit with the Lord if we're born again. And that means the life of God should be flowing into our lives. But this is what he says. The, the old King James, this is the new King James. But the old King James says it like this in the last part of verse 2. It says, in every branch that bears fruit, he purges. I like that, that word purge. It means the, the removal of something that it may bear more fruit. In this verse, this part of the verse, I believe is key to opening us up to the rest of the passage. Because to the same degree that we are purged, to the same degree we will bear fruit. That's what it's saying. The more we're purged, things removed from our lives, which hinder us moving forward, the more we will bear fruit. So that is a key verse. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, it's a mutual relationship. And he's saying you cannot do it on your own. You cannot bear fruit for God, because it's not of God unless you're in right relationship with him, abiding in that vine. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. Again, it's mutual. 
bears much fruit. So it comes out of the relationship with him. For without me, you can do nothing. You cannot do God's work on your own strength. You cannot bear fruit without being in that relationship. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 6, is, I believe it could be telling us there is no middle ground. You're either going forward or you're going backward. He says you've got a branch cast away and put away. Verse 7 says this, if you abide in me, again in that relationship, and my words abide in you, he's talking about these words here, you can ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So first he's telling us in verse 7, if you abide in me, that's relationship. But the next part he tells us, and my words abide in you. So Jesus is telling us here that part of being in relationship with God is about filling ourselves with the word of God. Because the only way that his words can abide in us is if we keep filling ourselves with the word of God. And as we grow in that relationship, our prayers will begin to be answered. Because he says, and you can ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I have heard people teaching and uh, people who, who have watched on YouTube and that, really people who are really close to God, that the more you grow in God, the closer you get to God, the more your prayers are answered. And that sounds good. You know, we want to move into a time where our prayers are answered. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you would be my disciples. See, we don't bear fruit so that we look good. It's so the Father is glorified. See, when somebody looks at a life and say that is a transformed life, you know, that life is bearing fruit. That life has the power of God on it. They look to God and they look at what God can do. Not that we can do it. It's only God that can do that. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. It's telling us that it is a love relationship. Jesus is telling us it's a love relationship. If you keep, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Keep his commandments. He's talking about obedience. We need to be obedient to him, walk with him. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. See, the more we grow in relationship with God, the more we're going to come into a place of joy. And he says we can even come to a place where that joy will be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you will love one another as I have loved you. Again, he's telling us to love each other. You know, you can only do that through having a relationship with God. Then he tells us, verse 13, greater love has no one in this than to lay down one's life for his friends. See, that's what he done. He came as a servant, he served, he laid down his life. And he's required the same for us, to lay our lives down, that our lives are no longer for us, but to serve the people round about us. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You know, obedience again, then he's talking about they were servants, but they're also friends. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He says, all things, that means revelation. When the Bible comes alive, it begins to reveal things to us in that relationship. The Bible will begin, when the Bible comes alive, it begins to transform 
their lives. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So again, he's talking about us bearing fruit and that fruit remaining. It's an eternal thing. When you impact somebody for God, it's for eternity. You know, that's what he's saying, that that fruit will remain. In verse 17, he says, these things I command you, that you love one another. So just to recap, you know, uh, eight times within the passage, the word fruit is mentioned. Then nine times within the passage, the word love is mentioned, meaning a relationship with God is about love. A relationship with each other is about love. But I really believe it all comes back to verse 2, the second part of verse 2. And every branch in me, as me and you, that bears fruit, he purges, that it may bear more fruit. In other words, God wants to take us through seasons where he's eradicating things from our life. It's a difficult process. It takes people through to change them. In the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi began to prophesy about the coming of Jesus Christ. Mark, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, it says this, But who can endure the day of his coming? And there's a question mark. Then it says, And who can stand when he appears? Then there's another question mark. And it says, He will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. And he's going to put you through the fire. Then it says, in the, the next part, it says, he will sit as like a, a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, that's the people of God. He will purify them and he will purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So he's, he's telling us it's no an easy process. It says, but it says it will be like launder or soap, meaning that a real cleansing will need to take place in the life of the individual. A real cleansing, and it says it will be like silver being refined. See, when the silver is refined, they put it in intense heat. They put it in this heat, and it begins to melt, and the impurities begin to come to the surface. And what happens is the silversmith will scoop those impurities away. You know, and this is what God does in our life. This is what I've found through personal experience. We go through pressures. We go through the trials of life. And God brings stuff up to the surface. You know, stuff that is wrong with us on the inside. And he brings it up and he brings it up. And things become intense in our lives. We go through intense periods of time. But eventually it will eradicate that stuff. It will take it away to we're completely healed in maybe one particular area. Then it'll go to another area. Then it'll go to another area. It'll keep putting his finger on things so that we can be restored, so that we can be made whole. But it's a difficult process. But at the other end of that process, it says uh, in those verses that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Meaning, at the other end of the process, you come out different and you offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. What is that offering? It's really your life. It's really about serving Him. You know, serving Him, as we were saying already, 
a life's producing fruit. But how do the life, how does the life produce fruit? It's been connected to the vine. It's got to be done out of relationship. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he purges that it may bear more fruit. You know, that is amazing. You know, I, I, I came up with that conclusion myself that I thought, the more you're purged, the more you bear fruit. But I went away and checked it on some commentaries just, just a few weeks ago. And, you know, I don't look at commentaries hardly ever. And sure enough, the guy who was writing the commentary said the exact same thing. So I said, well, we want to say that, you know, it doesn't sound, you know, it's, it's okay to say. And he says, to the degree that we're purged, he says, if you want maximum fruit, maximum fruitfulness in your life, you've got to go through the purging, the pruning, you've got to be changed on the inside. So I'm just going to pray and uh, give it back to, to Graham. And so, Father, we come before you, Lord, we, we've got things going on in our lives, Lord, we can wear masks because there can be areas of our life we've still not dealt with, where there's brokenness, Lord, where there's concern, where there's pressure, Lord, where there's strongholds, Lord, where things are not going the way we want it to go, where, where there's prayers not been answered. Lord, but we're crying out, Lord, that you would do something fresh in our lives. And we see our prayers being answered. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Lord, we want to grow in that relationship. So we're purged, we're purified, we're cleansed. And so we can see our prayers answered. So we can see our lives transformed, Lord. We will, I know we will get concerns, including me, Lord, of even family members, Lord. Concerns about uh, close blood relatives, Lord, about things going on in their life, maybe even certain directions people are going. Lord, and we're asking, Lord, that you don't just ch change our lives, Lord, but you'll use us as conduits, Lord, to stand in the gap for others, Lord. And we receive prayers answered. Lord, you say through Ezekiel, I looked for a man who would stand in the gap among the people, on behalf of the people, but I found none. But Lord, we're saying today, Lord, Lord, we will respond to that invitation. We will stand in the gap, Lord, not just for our own lives, Lord, but for the lives of others, Lord, so that we can see prayers answered, Lord. You know, even some of the stuff that I've been thinking about even for Thursday, Lord, about concern about particular issues, not with other people, Lord. And I'm praying, Lord, we bring, I bring those needs, Lord, and the needs every single person in here, Lord, we bring those needs to you today, Lord. You, we don't need to call them out. You know the needs, Lord, even the concerns, Lord, we have got for others, Lord. We bring them to you, Lord, because we know that it says the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. So we're going to keep believing, Lord, you're the God who answers prayer. You are the God of the breakthrough. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.